This is Converge, a podcast from Convera. Come with us as we shape the future of finance. Welcome to Converge. I'm excited to welcome one of the great members from our Market Insights team, Boris Kovacevic. Boris, thanks for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about your role at Convera and a little bit of background on yourself, and then I'll introduce the new type of episode we'll be presenting today on Converge. Sounds good. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. So as you said, um, my name is Boris Kovacevic. I'm the global macro strategist for Convera. I've been with um, the company for the last five years. Um, I've started out as a pure FX strategist, but given my background in economics, I have always been interested in kind of the global phenomenon of why when, and how central banks are um, influencing markets, how they are intertwined. And this is what kind of got me interested in researching more in the macro side, especially kind of the global macro side. And given that we had a position to fill, this is where kind of I leaned into it. And since then, we have been a global team and we have to, uh, we, we've been doing research for Convera um, for quite some time. And yeah, um, this is kind of what my backstory is all about. That's great. Thanks for joining us, Boris. And so, as you heard, Boris is a macroeconomist. And today's episode is part of a new series for Converge. We'll be moving our fintech episodes to a biweekly cadence every other week. And in between, we'll be offering market insights and macroeconomic commentary from Boris and other members of his team. These folks are second to none, and we're really excited to have them join us and provide some clarity amidst a lot of the market chaos going on today. So Boris, as many people know, these are challenging times for businesses, individuals, entities. There's a lot of uncertainty at the macro level. And when one uncertainty seems to get a little clearer, another one comes right around the corner. And many people find them un themselves unsure of how to approach uh, trading, investing, raising funds, uh, the movement of money for businesses and, and the fluctuations in FX and currencies. All of this has really rarely undergone such such seismic change within so few years. So it's very helpful to have those who study the markets day in and day out, such as yourself, provide some guidance and clarity amidst all of this. So to set the stage, Boris, where are we today globally? And then let's drill down and we'll talk about the here and now. But what should businesses and individuals know about the macro picture today? And just do some scene setting for us, if you don't mind. Yeah, sounds good, Alex. So. When we think about the macro environment from kind of this global perspective that you subscribe to, we see it really as a direct consequence still of not only the pandemic, but also all these fiscal and monetary policy measures used during the last three years. And, and this for us is kind of the reason for why you'll often hear us talk about the post-pandemic global economy, which we have tried to define by kind of these three distinct, but yet really intertwined characteristics. So the first one being high interest rates regime, the second one, the slowdown in manufacturing, and the third one, a strong consumer and resilient labor markets. Meaning that for us, how we put it to our clients and how investors see the world is, they live and deal with this high interest rates regime where the pro-cyclical part of the global economy, think manufacturing, global trade, the housing market, have already fallen into recession in the developed world. But where the consumer continues to power on the rest of the economy with not only 
these excess savings that have been building up during these lockdown periods, but also amidst extremely tight labor markets. And we think that these three themes have really governed global macro, but also financial markets for the better past for the better half of, of the past two years. But we have also noted in recent publications that all of them are now in the process of turning. Um, which could make the upcoming months really volatile. So for us, interest rates seem to have peaked. The pro-cyclical parts of the global economy are at least attempting to recover, and the consumer and labor markets are expected to weaken. And this potential macro regime shift is, in our opinion, the almost the sole reason for why the US dollar has been trending downwards in, in the past couple of weeks and why global equities are actually on track to record the best month in almost three years and being up around 9% in, um, in November alone. Wow, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big shift. Can, can we talk a little bit more about perhaps the picture of the weakening of the consumer in this environment? How does this correspond to the still relatively strong jobs market? Is, is hiring and jobs market slowing down or cooling off? And is this really just about pandemic savings drying up in the US? Or is the labor market looking less promising? And is that playing into this picture? Yeah, so you're absolutely right in pointing to the still positive and really strong jobs growth in the United States. And I would add that the strength of the American household is still one of the reasons for why forecasting a recession in the U.S. has really been a failed cause for the past couple of months. And is also the reason for why this soft landing narrative has gained traction in the last couple of um, uh, weeks and months. However, we again have noted in, in recent times that the labor market and consumer spending are weakening, even though it might not be apparent at first sight. And let's give me let, let's um let me just give you a couple of data points on 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 this one. So, for example, has moderated in the last couple of uh, months because it reached a cyclical high at the middle of last year. The quits rate um, has returned to its pre-pandemic level at around 2.3 percent. Job openings have started moderating, and the unemployment rate in the U.S. has already risen by around 50 basis points to currently 3.9%. And even jobs growth, as you mentioned, meaning non-farm payrolls in the U.S., while still being well above zero, um, I think the last print was around 150,000, the three-month average that we look at um, has as well fallen back to its 10-year trend. So for us, the labor market is objectively slowing. It's not slowing enough to cause a recession by any uh, definition so far, but it is important to also note that the labor market is inherently lagging and is usually the last sector of the economy to drop. So it's not really a sector that we look for uh, guidance in um, gauging future recession probabilities. The most convincing argument for us why we and basically the consensus as well is expecting the labor market to continue weakening in 2024 is the weakening of these leading indicators. So the purchasing manager survey, surveys from the conference board in the US, housing market sentiment, the Kansas Fed labor market conditions index, they've all been trending down in the past couple of months. And they are indicating that more pain is ahead for the consumer and labor markets. In regards to consumer spending, which still is surprisingly strong, we have noted that the rise of credit card debt and these credit card delinquency rates are not really consistent with the consumer spending out of his or her own pocket. And this spending is mostly, especially in the last couple of months, 
has been driven by the accumulation of new debt. Um, so this is, again, for why we think that the labor market is continuing to slow. And for us, it definitely be one of the major volatility drivers going 2024, given the uncertainty band between or surrounding all the forecasts of non-farm payrolls going into 2024. Interesting. So, given the given the projection that 2024 will likely see more volatility, I mean, this has been sort of the normal environment over the last several years. What what is it that is driving this anticipation of perhaps some bullishness next year? Is that in regards to the markets? Is that is that election year confidence? Is it related to uh, opportunities in certain markets with emerging technology? What are the factors that play into this uh, sort of tilt towards optimism that we're starting to feel and that you've noted? And um, you know, why should it matter for people who are uh, considering uh, either how to invest or uh, considering what uh, the FX and, and currency volatility is going to look like next year? Yeah, so as you said, um, I think it is fair to say that overall sentiment on financial markets has definitely turned positive over the last couple of few weeks. And um, it is true that equities tend to perform reasonably well in US election years, for example. But given the importance of kind of the macro and monetary policy picture at the moment, I think they are kind of putting politics aside and are really focused on on the macro picture. Um, for us, for example, if you look at um, we the markets and investors putting aside politics, you can't really say the same for this whole AI and tech story. Because if you look at the year-to-date performance of companies like Microsoft, Apple, NVIDIA, they're up between 35 and 70% just this year alone. And they've really outpaced the overall benchmark this year. The S&P 500, for example, something we noted last week, is up by 18% this year. But um, 85% of these gains actually come from just seven companies. Right, which we famously call the Magnificent Seven, the seven tech uh, companies that benefit from this AI boom. And ex- excluding these companies from the benchmark gives us a sobering year-to-date performance of just 3.7%. Right, And this is why even though you, you hear us talk about this macro uncertainty that is really high, um, this tech boom, the AI boom, and um, coupled with markets thinking that the Fed is at least done hiking interest rates has really been enough to push equities higher and push equity volatility to its lowest since 2020. And this is also important for effects where volatility has been subdued. But given our outlook on U.S. rates, on inflation and so on, we do expect inflation, um, excuse me, volatility to pick up going into next year, especially given that normally, historically speaking, volatility across the board and across asset classes tends to rise um, in the four or five months before in U.S. election. Got it. Got it. So let's expand a little bit and let's talk about the latest global market trends of just the past couple of weeks. What should folks consider and what should we look at in more detail? Yeah, sure. So again, for us, it's important to kind of just remind ourselves what the setup was going into November, given how unique November was compared to to the first 10 months of the year. Because Again, we were coming into November with quite a negative backdrop, talking from a risk-sensitive perspective. U.S. macro data has been incredibly strong. 
and this coupled with hawkish Fed speak has pushed the US 10-year government bond yield up for six consecutive months to its highest level in 16 years, right? Um, peaking at around 5%. And this drastic move at the end of October pretty much set the tone for the rest of financial markets globally. The euro has been falling, uh, the pound had been uh, falling, um, equities had been falling as well. I think the global equity index um, was negative for three consecutive months, um, having shed around 9% of its value. And then came November. As I said, November is really shaping up to be the best month for risk assets this year so far. And some people, some investors have even called the Korean rally a broad forward Santa Claus rally. Um, because European and US stocks have recorded four consecutive weekly rises, um, again, against the backdrop of inflation falling. And the global equity benchmark is on track to record its best month in three years. And um, one thing that is also important to note is that bond deals across the board have also fallen. Most notably, the most important fact that we are watching is, of course, the U.S. 10-year government bond yield, which, as I said, peaked around 5% and is now down to around 4.4%. And this, of course, begs for us the question, what happened to turn this gloomy outlook in October completely upside down in just a few weeks? And for us, it's really about kind of these three key developments um, that have been driving this risk-on rally. So the first one is that we described is G3 central bank, uh, central banks deciding not to raise interest rates at the last meeting. The second one is that signs are emerging, as I said, that U.S. labor markets are moderate, mo moderately cooling. And the third one is that U.S., Eurozone, and even U.K. inflation data has been surprising to the downside in October. And this was quite important for markets and quite significant because it led to the largest monthly drop of the Goldman Sachs Financial Conditions Index in the US in recent history. And taking together these three or four points that I've mentioned, um, investors really felt comfortable to start again pricing in really aggressive um, interest rate cuts from the Fed, from the ECB, and from the Bank of England. Even though all these policymakers have really loudly pushed against any speculation that they would ease monetary policy going into 2024. So now we have a divide between what investors think, what is priced into markets, and what policymakers want us to believe about monetary policy going into 2024. Great, great. Very interesting. So, so Boris, let's talk a little bit about the coming weeks ahead. What can, uh, what can consumers and businesses look at? Um, you know, looking forward for the up upcoming weeks, what's important in terms of global meetings, set the stage for what we should look out for coming up? Yeah. So, so to answer this question on, on the look ahead, we can, um, to make it really simple, we can once again, highlight our three drivers of the November risk rally. And um, we can simply ask, are these themes, are these developments likely to continue going into December and into Q1 of next year. Because if they are, if, um, again, central banks are done raising interest rates, if the US economy continues to slow at a moderate pace, and if these inflation numbers continue to come down, the equity rally doesn't really have a reason to stop. And the US dollar will probably remain 
on the defensive. And the good thing for us is that this last week of November and even the first two or three weeks of December will give us plenty of opportunity to answer those questions because a lot of data is coming up. So the first patch is um, starts already this week on Thursday. We will get the release of US and Eurozone inflation, really important number source. And um, it's important to note in this context that the consensus is expecting both headline inflation prints to come down uh, on a year-to-year -year basis in the Eurozone and in the US. And we, I would say, tend to agree with this view because our medium-term projection for both Eurozone and US inflation is for them to fall um, more drastically in the Eurozone, where we um, have an out-of-consensus call for Eurozone inflation to fall below 2% in the middle of next year. Um, still, I have to caution our view here because these monthly prints um, always have the potential for one-off effects that you can't really predict. And these can cause volatility, even though we're expecting a market positive out outcome with inflation probably falling. The second thing I would like to mention uh, besides inflation is, of course, monetary policy guidance, because the major central banks that have been talking about will again meet in December, and um, this will be the last policy setting of the year. And we, of course, do not expect any interest rate changes in the US, UK, in the Eurozone. But the updated projections on kind of these three pillars, um, economic growth, inflation, and interest rates that they will pr be providing us will really be important and something to watch, especially given that policymakers, as I said, are still pushing back against these rate-cutting speculations that investors are holding. And then just to conclude this one, the last thing besides inflation and monetary policy will be labor market data, uh, of course, the consumer. The next U.S. Um, non-farm payrolls print comes out in, I think, one and a half weeks on Friday. And it will be, again, highly important, not even... Um, um, now, kind of uh, even more than, than than before, given that this November risk rally that I've been mentioning was partially, of course, fueled by jobs growth coming in well below the consensus number in October. And this, in combination with the Fed pausing its tightening cycle, has been the main cause of why risk assets have been performing so well. One last thing just to summarize this, this whole um, outlook is that we have to note that markets are currently positioned for a soft landing and for the Fed to cut interest rates next year. And for us, you can't really have both of these scenarios. So in the first one, for example, if the economic data comes in weaker than expected, it's initially good for risk assets um, because it means that the Fed is able to cut interest rates next year. However, if US macro data starts going from bad to recessionary, then the soft lending narrative really have to, has to be revised. And at the other spectrum, uh, at, the, at the other end of the spectrum, if US data outperforms expectations uh, by a large margin, this would put the bets of rate cuts into perspective and into question. So. We think that both scenarios where U.S. data performs really well or really bad could lead to higher market volatility because the path that markets are currently pricing in of a soft landing and Fed rate cuts is really narrow. Um, and again, this could probably spike volatility, especially given, as I mentioned, that um, current levels of volatility and price uh, swings are really suppressed and given the complacency of international investors. Mm. Extremely interesting times in the markets. Boris, thank you so much. You've been invaluable in breaking this all down for our audiences. And we will see you back here in a couple of weeks to break down what's latest then. We really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Thank you, Alex. Looking forward to it. 